James Allison, as Chief Technical Officer of the Mercedes Formula One team, you made a statement recently saying that you thought some teams might get things really badly wrong for the 2022 season. Yes, that's right. I did say that. And what mistake do you think they will make? A miscalculation on the amount of downforce available, perhaps? Uh, No, I wasn't talking about that. Uh, Do you think they'll fail to understand the behaviour of the new tyre spec? Uh, no, not that either. Then, in your opinion, what is it? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? It's using Nikita Mazepin or Nicholas Latifi as your driver. That's the very definition of badly wrong, isn't it? Fair point. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth Jones. He's Alex Goy. Hi. And he's Zog. Hello. Before we get to the meat and two veg of this show, first of all, no Sarah this week, because Sarah, lucky Sarah, is in Australia. She managed to get away and spend some of the darkest, coldest winter European months in the hottest, warmest, driest loveliness of Australia. And I'm hoping that she sailed there in the virtual motor yacht that I bought her for Christmas. I don't think she did, but how are you guys doing? What nonsense has come to mind to your eyes recently, boys, car related? Oh, Gareth, have you not seen the wonderful trailer for the new season of Formula E that appears to be part fever dream, part perfume advert and part Ridley Scott weirdness? And all nonsense. It's all bollocks. What is it? It is rubbish. (laughs) I haven't got a clue. Gareth, maybe you should just describe the advert we're talking about. But it makes no sense at all. It is the most confused bit of messaging I've come across. There's a Formula E race and the front three drivers have a massive accident. And rather than get out and sit in the pits and watch their competitors, instead they run out off the track and then run down the street and then one of them gets on a horse. After running through a Chinese restaurant. After running through a Chinese restaurant. And crashing through the glass at the front. Then they end up at the finish line just in time to run, having taken probably a massive shortcut, but half the time of the race in time to run across the finish line ahead of everyone else. It makes no sense at all, does it? It's part, like you say, perfume advert, part Bond film. The idea that it starts with the crash and the audio treatment of the crash, if you notice, it's very like Drive to Survive, where they ramp up all the effects. And then this absurd chase sequence. Why are we advertising motor racing with people doing parkour. Why are we advertising motor racing with horses, Gareth? Exactly, yeah, right, right. I mean, well, I mean the, the first thing that came to my mind was that basically it's a very video game-ish advert, I think. It's almost like you're throwing the drivers into a sort of video game series of challenge where, you know, there's almost sort of platform levels. They've got to get through one challenge, then another. Yeah. Are the creators of this advert not aware that there is a whole genre of video games called driving? well apparently not or apparently they think they have to offer you something or try to push something to you that is more exciting than driving yeah but this is part of the problem with that advert that you're advertising a motor racing series yeah first of all by showing drivers doing a whole lot of other stuff that's really exciting that isn't motor racing Mm. But then also, these couple of weird moments of getting suddenly very health and safety nanny-ish. At the start of the advert, I thought, well, advertising a motor racing series with a huge on-screen crash is a bit odd. 
And then at the end of the advert, it's a bit odd that a driver steps out into the middle of the track with the entire field charging towards him. Yeah. I mean, there were those little triangles at the side of go-kart tracks that say, motorsport is undertaken at your own risk. Yeah. <laughs> it's just very weird. Um, the message, if you were to disseminate this whole thing, disassemble it, the message appears to be you can outrun a Formula E car by running around the city. And the right. company responsible for it, who are called Uncommon, have absolutely absolutely missed the point but moreover formula e have supported them and said this is great this is the message we want to get across i don't get it i want to like formula e but i do struggle i really do and you two the same right no i like formula e largely because i've been to a few of the races and the atmosphere is great you see i like loud repetitive music and drinking a lot and that tends to be what i do when i go all motorsport (laughs) <laughs> Which is great. So it's also why I like Le Mans, because it's that. But Formula E, it's mega. It tends to be quite easy to get to. The racing is surprisingly tight. You don't get big V8 noises, but instead you get a lovely view in a city. It's my speed. I enjoy it. I really do. But you don't get the drivers diving through glass windows and stealing horses from policemen. I mean, at no point during a race have I stolen a horse, nor have I jumped through a plate glass window. I'm glad. I don't think I've ever done that outside of motorsport either. I've ridden a horse, but it was a horse someone gave me permission to sit on. Perfectly acceptable. For me, Formula E has been a bit disappointing. When it launched, I wanted to like it, and I've been following it to some extent. But as a viewer, I haven't been that engaged with the races but Alex you say that the Formula E events you've attended have been a blast I've got to say going to a Formula E race is a great experience they put on a really good show the difference between being at the live event and watching it on TV is much greater with Formula E than actually with Formula 1 agreed yeah what we have to remember with my supporting Formula E hat on is that it's still frontier tech in a way they're still figuring out how to do it yeah much as f1 is the cutting edge of motor motorsports internal combustion engine hybrid tech and all that formula e itself is the cutting edge of what you can do within certain parameters so you know this season they're working on making the batteries smaller but more energy dense so that you can do Mm. the same distance at similar speeds but actually it means the cars are lighter so they'll go faster they're being clever with ev tech rather than simply going right well bigger battery we'll stop the fast charging we'll do this we'll do that that all of that stuff is coming and it is genuinely useful information like stuff Mm. is being fed down to road car development especially when it comes to stuff like power flow transfer and battery tech because that stuff is genuinely useful well we wish them Mm. well Mm. i want formula e to do well i'm much more engaged with extreme e i enjoy that a lot more and i want formula e to do well and i will be watching this season but no thanks to that stupid video you will find it on the formula e website there's the full three minute version on there there's a three minute version i've only seen the one on twitter wow yeah i only got the short one yeah there was enough nonsense in the short version i can't imagine what the three minute version is going to be like even more nonsense now staying with the theme of nonsense my good friend vince borg who zog you've been to le mans yeah hey vince yeah vince got hold of me the other day phoned up he said i have just seen someone driving a dacia duster and i was wondering if that person who bought that car was a cleaner (laughs) I'm talking about nominative determinism in cars. You know, nominative determinism, where your name is something like hearse. Mm. So you decide to become an undertaker, right? Yeah. 
Does it work for cars as well? For instance, Dacia Duster might be a cleaner. If you drive a Dacia Sandero or a Sand Hero, are you into concrete repairs? Is that your thing? You really it, like smooth wood. That's what it is, Sandero. <laughs> if Lotus had a car called the X-Hume, that would be a grave digger. It's close, isn't it? There could be an X-Hume, couldn't it? That's what they could be calling their upcoming... Sports car. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Though, if you want a fun nominative determinism Lotus fact, their head of design is called Russell Carr. Of course he is. Lovely Russell. Oh, Can't hey, keep his eyes out you when are. you're talking to him, Carr. Lovely fella. Top designer. Born to the job. Okay, how about if you drove a Mercedes GLC, would you be, for instance, Ken Livingstone? Or someone who works in the Greater London Council? Or that's ah. worse. What you did there. That's a gag for all of us who remember 1970s uh, <laughs> London, lo- London local politics. There's not many of us left. Lost on the rest of the world. Weirdly, someone who drives an Audi A4 sells bigger paper than someone who's slightly more successful than them. <laughs> <laughs> and if you drive an Audi A1, does that mean that you are Nicolas Lapierre, who won A1 GP's first season, the World Cup of Motorsports? If you drive a mini Clubman, are you a DJ? No, you are a droog. A droog! From <laughs> oh, good, from, nice, um, nice. Clockwork Orange. Okay, if you drive an Eclipse Cross, are you an astronomer? Uh, you looked up when you were told not to, and now you're surprised you can't see. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and if you drive a Peugeot 208, I'm very proud of this one, were you a Radio Luxembourg DJ? That's one for the oldies. Because Radio Luxembourg was called Fab 208. That was their frequency. Right. Okay. Thank you for that. (laughs) Does everybody who works for Amazon drive a Boxster? They drive box vans. I actually have a mate who works for Amazon and he drives a Honda Jazz and he is not musical in the slightest. I was going to say, wouldn't that be Michael (laughs) Bublé's car? Ooh. On that note, of course, the Suzuki Every Joy Pop Turbo. Wait, what, 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 really? Every Joy Pop Turbo? Yeah, yeah, Joy Pop Turbo, a little minivan, early 2000s. Wow. Really, really cute little Japanese, I think, domestic market. Who drives uh, out then? A K-pop fan, you know, surely anybody, you know, know, you're driving that, you're listening to some happy, like, K-pop, but Japanese pop. Do the leaders of Al-Qaeda all drive a 911? Oh, that's jazzy. Ooh. That's that might be. That's oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about the Daihatsu Scat? Oh no! <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't speculate about the personal habits. I've been to that bit of the internet. It's not great. <laughs> Master Bongo Friendy, exclusively driven by stoned drummers. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> People who work in human resources, they drive a Toyota CHR. Hey. Yeah. Very rude Portuguese people drive Hyundai Konas. Yes, as discussed, because we know <laughs> what that means. <laughs> oh, of course, popular with the naturist community, the Dahatsu Naked. Oh, hey. classic. French proctologists drive uh, Toyota MR2s. Oh, Oh. (laughs) I'm sensing a theme here with your names here, Mr. Goy. I'm doing my best. You're just much, much cleverer than me. If you had a really dependable (laughs) friend who perhaps was a roadie, would he drive an Amarok? Ooh. Mm. A hobbyist who spends most of their time in a shed, would they drive a Subaru Outback? If you were, uh, I think, South London rapper, you would drive a Bedford Rascal. Very good. In circles, and then you would be dizzy. Oh! If you were a supporter of the Church of Satan, as I think 
technically I may be at the moment. Long story. Right. A Lamborghini Diablo. What? Hang on a minute. Now, please qualify that. Let's just nip back to the fact that you're involved in the Church of Satan. How, Zog? Well, when I say I'm involved, I have on order, but I haven't yet received a couple of decks of playing cards that are being produced by somebody who is associated with... I actually can't remember whether it's the Satanic Temple or the Church of Satan in the USA. I should point out, however, that Satanism in this context isn't actually devil worship. It's a sceptical atheist movement, not a religious movement. Okay. Is it one designed to piss off the amazingly devout Christian types? Basically, yes. <laughs> Watch the documentary Hail Satan, if you want to know more. I highly recommend it. Very entertaining, very interesting documentary. I think I am, strictly speaking, giving financial support to <laughs> the Church of Satan. And I'm very happy so to do it. Okay. Lovely people. And I am broadly in sync with their aims. Broadly. If you were slightly better at tennis than all of your tennis partners, would you drive an Aston Martin Vantage? Oh, very nice. Oh. If you worked for the royal family, you were one of those obsequious types who fawn in front of the royal family, would you drive a Subaru Lavorg, which we all mm. know is grovel backwards? <laughs> <laughs> Do only narcissists drive a Seat Me? If they're vegetarians, they drive a Seat Me by Mango. Oh, uh, was that a limited edition version of the Me? A limited really? edition with Seat and Mango. There you are, and they're in a weird pink. Okay, if you work on transatlantic leisure liners, I don't know if that's the right term, would you drive a Chevrolet Cruze? Do Star Trek fans choose the VW Transporter? Ah, uh, but they only get their cars when they're on holiday from Enterprise. That's correct. <laughs> Do entomologists tend to favour the VW Beetle? I hope Obvious so. Obvious one, yeah. but, you know, you think they probably would. Do downhill skiers only want to drive a Ferrari 488 Pista? Ooh. Ooh, good. Ooh, that is irritatingly good. Ophthalmologists, do they drive a Ford Focus? Me. Would people who get slightly annoying at the end of parties maybe drive a Daihatsu Charade? <laughs> And, of course, we all know that priests exclusively drive a Citroen DS. Oh, very good. Of course mm. they do. Do naval captains all drive a Corvette? Oh, oh, that's irritatingly good. I'm looking around my office for, like, what do I have? <laughs> what do I have pictures of? A person making boxes to keep tea in or carry golf clubs around, do they drive a VW Caddy, perhaps? People who work for PG must drive either a Kia Stinger GT, a Ford GT, if they have a lot of tea, a Ford GT40. <laughs> <laughs> also for alcoholics, they're the G and T40. Oh, very good. <laughs> you wouldn't want to know anyone in your neighbourhood who owned a Plymouth Prowler. <laughs> very or good or indeed a Toyota Urban Cruiser if you were <laughs> if you work in catering and you specialise in pork related things you only drive a caterham caterham oh yeah oh oh, uh, oh that's irritatingly good and it gets down to individuals as well for instance does Brian Cox drive a Ford Galaxy I'll ask him does Spike Milligan or would have Spike Milligan driven an Audi Q8 northern estate agents who only specialise in rental properties well they only drive an Elise oh an Elise <laughs> oh very good okay here's one for Zog 
David Lynch or Kyle McLachlan, McLachlan, how do you say it? McLachlan? McLachlan. Kyle McLachlan. Yeah. Would they only drive a BMW, let's say, 214 because Twin Peaks was cancelled after two series? But it came back. Yeah, but that doesn't count for the gag. We'll have to ignore that. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Okay. No, for, for the purpose of the gag, you're right. Let's not let the truth get in the way of entertainment, uh, of course. shall we? A Skoda Octavia. Driven by Spider-Man's mortal enemy, of course, Dr. Octopus. Dr. Otto Octavius. Exactly. If we're going superhero, give me a couple of minutes. I'm sure I can think of something. We're running out of time. Tell me, you've got about 30 seconds left. I'm going to race through these. I've got written down here. I thought about... Do mountain climbers only buy an Alpine? I actually knew someone called Cleo Williams once. She never owned a Renault Cleo Williams edition. I wish she did. That's a trick she But missed. a lady called Zoe Renault did try to sue Renault about the Renault Zoe. Good on her. She failed? She didn't win. Oh. <laughs> you can still buy a Renault Zoe. Does Wolverine <laughs> drive a Dacia Logan? Oh, Simon Le Bon, has he got a Kia Rio? I don't know about that, but I'm pretty sure that anybody who had a Suzuki Esteem would feel pretty good about themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Psychotherapist car, that. (laughs) If John Wayne was still around, would he drive a Nissan Duke? Oh, good. Yes, yes. Of course he would. And if... I'm going to wrap up with these last two now, and I make no apologies for these, but does Liam Neeson own a Porsche Taycan? I know it's pronounced Taycan. And if nominative determinism does work in cars, why wasn't Chevy Chase a NASCAR driver? And now, more industry news with Lance Stroll. A prototype of a flying car has been awarded a certificate of airworthiness by the Slovak Transport Authority. The Klein Vision aircar can carry two is capable of reaching air speeds in excess of 118 miles per hour and altitudes of more than 8,000 feet. There is no truth in the rumor that Mark Webber and Johnny Dumfries have been shortlisted as possible experienced test pilots. I don't get it. Somebody explain it. Why don't I ever get these? I like to think of myself as a fairly positive person. I try to be, and I try and make everything on Gareth Jones on speed positive and up. But we had a, I say we, because I feel the pain. We had a less than positive thing happen recently to one of the members of the team, Zog, your Porsche has had an unfortunate event, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. There was an unfortunate incident. We won't go into any details because it involves another person and it's not appropriate to get into any details. But It sounds awful to people who don't know what you're about to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had an accident. Nobody was badly hurt, but two cars were moderately bent. And I don't yet know whether I'm going to get my car back from the garage nicely fixed or whether it'll be written off. Yeah, I'm still waiting to straighten all that out. Tell me in 20 seconds what the damage is loosely, Zog. Assorted front-end damage. Most of the panels at the front, you know, front wing, bonnet, nose. The chassis, though, has probably got a bit of a... One of the chassis rails has probably been bent, and that is probably going to be the thing that will tip it into being a write-off, if it is a write-off. It's bent bodywork at the front. But the reason for us discussing this 
is that Zog forced you to ask the question, what might be the perfect city car for you to replace your Porsche with if you wanted to get a city car? We were having this conversation just the other day. Yeah. What might I replace it with if I had to replace it, if I wanted to replace it, you know? Okay. I'm going to lead this then and make some suggestions. I'm going to eliminate a number of things for you first. I think it's a process. If you've got a huge spectrum of cars to choose from, we're going to have to eliminate whole blocks of vehicles for one reason or another so we can whittle it down to what we believe to be the best city car for someone like us who lives in a city, London, in the case of all three of us. And let's maybe sort of think about it from you know from our perspective, because, you know, we each yeah. have different perspectives and different needs. Yeah. What's right for one person isn't right for somebody else. Well, I was on the high street here where I live in Stoke Newington the other day, and a guy drove past in a Twizzy. Oh, I love a Twizzy. The Twizzy's fantastic. If you live in continental Europe, if you live in cold, old Britain... You can get plastic zip-up windows. I know, but this guy had <laughs> the half plastic window and he ah. was fully wrapped up and he was cold and he was standing still. And this was the thing about the Twizzy. It has all the disadvantages of a motorcycle with none of the advantages. That additional manoeuvrability, being able to get round things and keep going, that makes it efficient. The Twizzy doesn't work in Northern European cities. If you're in the warmth, you're in no hurry, you're in the south of France, get a Twizzy. So I'm eliminating the Twizzy. I'll come back to that. Yeah, continue, okay. but I want to come back to what you just said there. My prime choice for you, Zog, would be the River Simple Rasa, which is a hydrogen fuel cell, carbon fibre shelled eco car. And there is a hydrogen fuel station, not a million miles from you, over by Heathrow, but not close enough. So the River Simple Rasa isn't the answer. So I'm eliminating here. There's the Citroen Ami. Now, Zog, I know you like a Citroen, so I thought we'll consider the Citroen Ami. I do. Have you noticed like all the cars I've suggested have all been electric cars? Because this... I have noticed. This is what I think you have to do. Because if you're using a city car for journeys of, what, 20, 30 miles, there's absolutely no point buying a petrol car or diesel car whatsoever. Get something electric. You can run a cable across your footpath. You can charge the car. So it has to be an electric car. So looking through what's available, the cheapest Renault Zoe I could find online at the moment was one for £6,890 with 29,000 miles on board. And I love the Zoe. You've driven a Zoe, Alex, haven't you? Uh, I have not. I've, I've somehow managed to avoid it. Wow. However, my suggestions lovely. for city cars are going to be vastly different from yours for almost exactly that reason. So. Good, good, good. <laughs> I want to hear what both of you have to say on the subject before I come back with my thoughts. Okay, well, I'm going to come to yours. I have two cars left in my suggestions. So a second-hand Zoe, if you've got seven grand to spare. If you haven't, I'd get a Mitsubishi Aimeev because they're an absolute bargain, because they've only got something like a 50-mile range. Perfect for what you need. But you can't find IMEF, so you have to find the alternative version of the Mitsubishi IMEF. A mid-engine, four-door electric car. How cool is that? There was the Peugeot Ion, or the one you'd probably have, Zog, because you like a Citroen, which is the Citroen C0. Same car, rebadged. You can get those for about five grand, I've seen online at the moment. That's my suggestion. Or 
get a Mini 1275 GT that's 40 years old and you're exempt from ULEZ and you've got a proper nippy city car. There you go. They're my suggestions. Some good ideas there. I like the throwaway Mini suggestion at the end. You said that you thought the Twizy was no good for Northern European cities. I think that's very unfair. I think it's wrong. I mean, have you been to Calais? (laughs) It's absolutely the case that a Northern European city in the winter, it's a bit miserable. It may be a fair weather vehicle for Northern European cities, but it's not completely unsuitable. I think it's got a lot going for it, the Twizy. I wouldn't go for one myself because, like you say, to me it has a bit too much of the... Like you say, combining some of the worst elements of a motorbike, the exposure to the elements, yeah. without the advantage of being super compact and super nippy. So I'll just take the Morgan three-wheeler off my list then. <laughs> the Morgan has other things going for though, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, what would you go for, Alex? It doesn't have a roof. So my opening salvo was the two cars I have which is Morgan three-wheeler, which is like a Twizy, but less practical somehow. Whoa! But it is fun to get around town in, and if it's just you and a mate, it's fine. If it starts raining, stay in. Right. Get a yeah. cab, whatever. Have a beer. I would also suggest a 10-year-old Vantage, largely because it's not much wider... Because you're selling one. No, no, sorry, no, God no. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not much wider than a Peugeot 206, something like that. Mm-hmm. There's room in the boot for a shop, for a couple of people it's comfy it's quick it's quiet it can fit down gaps there's loads of them around which means there are loads of bits yeah the bits are not cheap though but crucially both of them are ULEZ exempt they are euro five or six then yeah something yep. like that yeah like it's, wow, it's quite, I, i'm as surprised as you are my yeah. mate was offended that he had to get rid of his 13 year old diesel audi a3 and replace it with a honda jazz and I, I get to keep my... And you could carry on driving your big old Aston Martin. Cumulatively nearly seven litres of motor and ten <laughs> cylinders. And seven it's not enough. You need it's more cylinders. I need yeah. more. <laughs> Otherwise, for city car things, I'm going to lean more towards the ridiculous. It's not like you. No. I think you should get a Range Rover, namely a Range Rover Classics. There's a company called Kingsley, Kingsley Restored. As discussed. As yeah. discussed. And they do something called the ULEZ Reborn special basically it's a 40 year old range rover classic and they've gone over the engine they've go over the transmission they retrim it they repaint it they do everything so it won't rot so you can keep it outside mechanically it's sound cosmetically it's beautiful and it's both congestion ulez free and ridiculous and ridiculous you might almost have talked me around on that one alex here's the kicker you get all the space in the world all the glass in the world but it's an inch narrower than a new ford puma is it really? Oh, yeah, it. have some of that. That's a I good factor. I know which one I'd rather crash. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said Range Rover, I had already dismissed the idea. But original, not current no, model. No. You'll still look cool, but you can have wireless phone charging and CarPlay. Yeah. And reversing All the cameras. modern benefits. Yeah. Right. With your old school cool. Now, you see, that is just about possible. I still think, for me, I don't like big off-roaders. I don't like 4x4s. But that's what I could go with. No, they're pointless, especially in town. But here's the biggest thing. A Range Rover or any kind of big, expensive-looking SUV, no one is going to mess with you because they know you'll probably run them over and just not blink, whereas they'll have their sort of precious hot hatch that costs a thousand million pounds to replace. That is true. Now, there is that. But I don't think I want to project that on the road. I don't think I want to project this image of dominating, crushing. They'll think you're really cool, but you'll also... 
them up. That's the thing. So you're basically the mobster with a heart. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And a really nice house in the south of France. <laughs> okay. Mobster. Okay. All right. On top of that, let me have a quick think. Okay. Let me tell you where my thoughts went because I was turning it over my head for a while. And there are a bunch of, you know, really very good economical city cars from a lot of manufacturers, you know, really your sport for choice. Where we are in London does have this added layer, though, of congestion zone and ULEZ compliance that means that city cars that otherwise work equally well in all kinds of congested urban environments don't work quite so well in London because if you're using them a lot, you've got to pay charge after charge. And so these charging zone things become important. In the end, I figured there were two clear winners. Gareth, you mentioned one of them, but I'll come back to that. The other one, though, is the Toyota 86, whether it's a GT86 or a GR86. It's hit a really terrific sweet spot of value for money, performance, sharp looks. You know, it's not the best looking car around, but it's a looker. No one's going to judge you for having one of those. So if you were like, I want an AMG A45, people are going to be like, who's that with dive planes and a big wing and a pop bang map disturbing our sleep? Whereas an 86, it, yeah, it's low, but it doesn't, like, shout. It doesn't scream. It doesn't piss your neighbours off. No. If you want to get into tuning it and messing about with it a bit, you can do that. But it's also a really solid, reliable runner. If it gets a bit dinged up around town because driving around town, it, it's easy for people to bump into you when you park. Yeah. It's easy to pick up little dings as well as bigger dings. We took one all the way to Le Mans, didn't we? Very successfully. We did. And I know from that trip that the Toyota 86 that I really like a sports coupe. So I'd be able to a ULEZ compliant and therefore I can drive without an additional charge every day car. That is a sharp little sports coupe. Reliable, everyday driver, economical, great handling, all the performance I need around town. And if I want to head out west to see friends in the West Country or whatever, it's up to the job. In many ways, Zog, the GT or the GR86 is a spiritual successor to the 924 rather than the 944, a lightweight four-cylinder coupe, isn't it? Affordable. Yeah. Absolutely is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what was the the one I suggested that you were considering? The other one, okay, having gone with that not obvious city guard choice, the other thing that came to mind, if I was going to go completely the electric route and be a bit more local in my horizons, yeah, the Citroen Ami. I think that is a fabulous design from Citroen. To me, it's head and shoulders above the Twizy and several heads and shoulders above, say, the G-Wiz or, you know, predecessors like that. I love the way it looks. And I love that they've got these neat little design concepts in there, like the doors being symmetrical. They've got exactly the same doors on the left and the right of the car. Yeah. So, which means they open different ways, yeah. you know, because if you know, the handle's on the right-hand side. So you open it one way on one side of the car, the other way on the other. It's got a small range, but if I'm just getting around town, if I'm just driving around London, a 40-mile range is absolutely fine. A 30-mile-an-hour top speed is absolutely fine. And you love a Citroen. I love a Citroen. Like I say, I absolutely love the way that thing looks. I'd be very happy to be seen driving that anywhere. (laughs) Really, really. And if I want to make a longer trip, I will hire or borrow something. So that's my solution. And they are cheap. How much are they, do we know? They're not actually on sale in the UK yet. You can reserve one, can't you? You can reserve one, yeah. yeah. And they're about £6,000 TBC. Yeah, bargain, absolutely. I'd be very worried, though, if I 
owned one of those new Amis that if I got in it, I might accidentally reverse it into a wall rather than drive it forward because it's impossible to tell the front from the back of the car. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there is that. My last choice is the only rational choice I would make, Zog. And actually, just thinking about it now, it doesn't meet your requirements. Bugatti Veyron. Wow, that's a perfect <laughs> city car. Isn't yeah, it? I can go with that. Cheap to run, small. I was going to suggest a beaten up French Parisian second hand left hand drive Mark One Renault. Twingo. That's the perfect city car. It's got to be beaten up, but every panel needs to have a dent in it. The trouble is, it wouldn't be you less compliant. Sorry, Zog, I tried. Ah, uh, too bad. It's Rally Report with Iggy Pop! World Rally Championship got off to a spectacular start the Monte Carlo Rally, the new for 2022 Rally 1 spec. Hybrid cars proving to be spectacular, and the Ford Puma rapid in the hands of Sebastian Loeb, who won the rally with a commanding lead over his nearest rival. Loeb would have won with an even greater gap if he hadn't had to stop during the final stage to pick up his Zimmer frame and bus pass. Us old guys, we still got it right. Gareth Jones on speed. I may have mentioned at some point on this programme over the 18 seasons we've been doing it that I'm quite fond of a band from the Midlands called Slade. Have I ever mentioned that? Boys? No, no, it's the first Every now and then, yeah. maybe, you might mention in passing. Around Christmas, you're like, oh, I like that song. You did mention that you're a huge fan of ABBA <laughs> and that you want everybody to send you any no. ABBA rarities they have. Oh, no, please. However, one of my favourite Slade albums is an album called Whatever Happened to Slade. And people were asking that question about 1977 when Slade had disappeared to America for a few years. But yeah, they were still around then and they're vaguely still around now. But that idea of whatever happened to crossed my mind when I was flipping through GP Racing. You know, the magazine that used to be F1 Racing that's now rebranded GP Racing. F1 Racing magazine's rebranded? Yeah, they're not allowed to call themselves F1 Racing anymore, apparently. Why? Ownership of the brand. Because it's the same people that own Autosport and they've had to call it GP Racing racing yeah but i opened up uh, an old copy and in there was a picture of a car i thought i mean i'd hope so mate it's a car magazine i've seen that car before i'm holding the picture up for the boys to see it's out of focus they can't see it but it's a car called the rodam hang on let me get the name of it hold on oh is that the one that used to be the lotus t125 it is the car that used to be the Lotus. Or the Lotus Exos, sorry. Hang Correct. on, I've got something to show you. Once, hang on. Go and get it. I have a thing. Go and get it. Hang on. I'll explain in the meantime. The Lotus T125, I think, happened, the Type 125, in about 2010. And it was Lotus' attempt to build the ultimate track car that looked almost exactly like an F1 or an F2 car. It had a three and a half liter V8 Cosworth engine. I'd always called it the T125. Oh, nice. It was also this known as the Lotus I have Exos. from the Paris 2010 Motor Show where it was unveiled with all of the other ridiculous concepts that never really went anywhere. The experience book wow. that shows you what it all is. Is it signed by Danny Baha? It is not. I was never really present with him. Yeah, it's got all like technical images and 
things like this are the last boundary of our domain. To go no. beyond is the ultimate in challenges. Nonsense. That's quite a nice sort of coffee table book, really, you're mm. flipping through there. Well, it's too bloody big to sit on a bookshelf because it's massive. It's bigger yeah. than my torso. But it's, yeah, it's a lovely thing. The last time oh. I saw a T125 was when I went to Hethel to do a piece for Gareth Jones on Speed a couple of years back. And we went to Classic Team Lotus and they had a T125 parked in amongst all the real Formula One race cars that Lotus had designed and built. Mm. And it's emerged again. That car exists. It is called the Rodan... FZ, spelt F Z E D, the F Z. And Rodan or Rodin, I don't know how you pronounce it, are actually a New Zealand engineering company who seem to have acquired the license to build the T125 in the way that Caterham built the 7. You know, it's what Lotus do. They offload their old designs Mm. and apparently have improved on it. They have the world's biggest 3D printing facility, or printer rather, and they can print vital elements for the car. And if you buy a Rodan FZ, or a T125 as it was, I don't think you can actually take it home. It's one of those deals whereby you own the car, but they look after it for you. And if you want to drive it, you have to go and visit them. Now, at a cost of £650,000 for this car and a flight to New Zealand every time you want to drive it, that's an awful lot of money. But it's nice to know that the T125 didn't vanish off the face of the universe completely. It's alive and well and living in New Zealand. That's my first whatever happened to. You got one, Zog? I was actually wondering the other day what happened to the A to Z, you know, the the old London A to Z. I'm sure that Ah. there'll be other cities that have their own local atlases. I just thought that was something that I I hadn't seen for quite a long time, except when I was clearing out some old car bits and in along with some old AA roadmaps and other assorted dog-eared bits of papers. There's an A to Z in there. And your A to Z was a thing that, you would see stacks of every time you walked into WH Smith's or any other newsagent. Nine times out of ten, in the map pocket in the back seat of your parents' car, there'd be a dog-eared one from about 30 years previous. Black and white. And your own copy of the A to Z, in my experience, always has a couple of pages that are either much more dog-eared than the other pages or are actually missing. Yes. Because those are the pages that you keep looking at because those are the bits of town that you spend more time in and going around. I think we have the answer to the question. Whatever happened to, they wore out, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They wore out and they've been replaced by Satnav. They just evolved into dust. I honestly don't know. I could have Googled it before we had this conversation, but it's more fun not to. I don't even know if they print A to Zs anymore. No, there's no I mean, need, is there? As your man in the chair, let me find out. Okay. Ah, that's it. Whatever happened to the A to Z? Let's find out live. Computron 2000, will you please tell us whether the A to Z is still... You can buy them from Amazon. Oh, hang on. They only go up to L now. A to Z London paperback, April 2001. Okay, there we go. There we go. The historical documents. Yeah, actually, you can buy 2001 for £2.50. But, hang on, there's one for just shy of six quid. Paperback, or if you want to spy... Oh, no, that's March 2020. There you are. For six quid. So the answers are good. So they do still or if you them. want a spiral bound one, new is apparently nearly £80. Pounds. I think there might be a scarcity of. Oh, that's from Norfolk. Oh, yeah. Postage from Norfolk, pretty expensive. Well, you know, yeah. the A to Z <laughs> has become an historical document. It is the real live version of the way back 
Machine. Do you know Wayback Machine? Wayback Machine is a website where you can look at websites as they appeared 10, 20 years ago or more. And so if you get an A to Z now, you're getting a snapshot of what London's layout was or whichever town it is you buy for at that point in time. So, wow, they've become historical documents. Okay, Alex, what's your whatever happened to? Whatever happened to cars from before a 50 plate, you never see them anymore. In London, because they're not allowed to, is that right? No, I was in Cambridge the other week, didn't see any. Really? I go on the motorway, you never see them. Go down Zog's house, couldn't see his anymore. <laughs> so obviously something's happened. <laughs> Sorry, that was really mean. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. But you'd never see them anymore. Sad really? I sad Zog. Just got <laughs> But you never see them anymore, do you? I'm going to have to apply that rule next time I'm out now yeah. and see if it works. I hadn't noticed. I'm going to check this out. If you really want to play this game on hard mode, Mark 4 or 5 Escorts, the one before the Focus, you never see those yeah, anymore. Yeah, I'll give you that. And they used to be everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And do you know why? This is the interesting thing about cars, about classic cars. There are two ways of making money if you own a classic car. Either you buy a very, very, very rare car, like a lightweight E-Type, and you maintain it, or Mm. you buy something that was absolutely chod. It was so run-of-the-mill that nobody looked after that car, and they all got scrapped. So you could argue that a Mark I Twingo or even a Mark I Cortina 1300 Deluxe Mm. is more rare than an Aston Vantage because all the Vantages were kept and cared for. But there are no Cortina Mark I 1300s left Deluxe, you know. So to be a car collector, either choose something very special or something absolutely mundane that you just don't see anymore. So Mm. pre-50 registration cars will do it, yeah. Mm. But yeah, your challenge is pre-50 reg, pre-2000 reg, don't cheat and go to like Chelsea cars and the posh players go, look, it's us pre-90, it's pre-1999. Well, yeah you know, an E-type's going to be. But I'm talking about, like, the workaday stuff, like Novas and Renault 5s and, and Escorts and yes. uh, Calibras and stuff. Like, you never see them. And they used to make up yeah. absolutely yeah. everywhere on the road. I'm going to discount the Morris Minor that I know is parked around the corner. I'm going to take this challenge. When I go for a walk tomorrow, I'm going to take this challenge, see if I can spot one. The final whatever happened to, I'm going to leave you with, because... This one sort of haunts me for some reason. Is it the ghost of the lady next door? Because she haunts you, that's what happened to her. She's a ghost. That does happen. (laughs) I am haunted. Yes. Actually, there's truth in that. Because the lady who used to live next door to me, her name was Elsie. And she died in her... Sleep. Late. While driving a bus. It was terrifying. (laughs) Allegedly. That's what Gareth is telling everybody. Let's not, yeah. Died in her sleep. There could be some others. Why is she haunting you? I didn't kill Elsie. She was a dear neighbour. She was a lovely old Jamaican lady who died in the 90s. And then the people who moved in a few years later, after living here for about five or ten years, bought a dog. What did they call the dog? Elsie. Elsie. And Elsie barks. All the time. So I am literally being haunted by the ghost of the woman next door, Alex, to the truth in what you said. (laughs) My last whatever happened to is a car which got both you and my attention, as I recall. When we went to XL in, uh, when was it, 2006 or 2008, we went to the motor show in XL. And one of the cars, we reported about it on the programme, that seemed to be the great 
white hope, for want of a better word, the way forward for cars, was a car called the Lightning GT. Oh, Do you remember? remember yeah. That was cool. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was promising a great deal in terms of being an eco-friendly but exciting British sports GT. Yeah, and it looked like an Aston Martin or something. I discovered recently it was actually based on a, a sort of a track car. I can't remember the name of the car that it was based on now, but I'd never heard of it before. But the GT, it was innovative, Zog, because it was an electric car at the dawn of electric transport for us in the modern age, and it promised lithium titanate batteries and nanotubule technology somewhere on board as well and in-wheel synchronous motors as well and it really looked gorgeous and I thought, geez, this has got a range of something like 220 miles I think this is going to happen Being a man in the chair, your range was 200 miles There you go You could recharge it in 5 hours from a 32 amp wired socket or 12 hours from any standard socket Usable yeah, at that point, that was still pretty yeah, yeah. advanced, wasn't it, at that point? Because this was quite a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2008 it was launched, with delivery supposed to begin in 2009. Yeah, then delayed to 2022, yeah. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, the website still exists. It hasn't been updated for a couple of years, so I'm rather thinking that any investment that they were hoping for never actually came through, and the clue in that is in the last line of the Wikipedia article about this car, which says, deliveries to the public will have been put back to 2022. Lightning is believed to be in talks with a major continental partner whose technology will help bring the car to production. Now, that sentence in itself isn't damning, but the fact that after that sentence, there's a little citation needed request from Wikipedia suggesting that that is more hopeful than based in reality. Actually, if we're talking about promising looking vehicles that we haven't seen in production yet, the one that interests me is the Gordon Murray T25 and T27. Exactly. Those are fantastic city car solutions we were talking about city cars earlier and gordon murray came up with his take on the little city car and it's oddball and brilliant and for years now every now and again you see a story that yamaha or shell or somebody else is getting involved with gordon murray and they're going to build these cars and they never appear. I thought the Yamaha version looked gorgeous. I think, I think it's a real shame. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. When we have cars like the Twizy and like the Citroen Ami, which do a very yeah. similar sort of thing. So of all the yeah. whatever happened to cars that we hope for, I think the T25, the T27, the electric and internal combustion engine city cars, yep. what a shame they never happened. What was it that stopped them? We will probably never know, but I think the answer is probably money, isn't it? It's always money. Always money. Yep. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed with Alex Goy. Bye. With Zogger. Goodbye. And me, Gareth Jones. We'll see you in two weeks for the next one when we'll be starting to think about the new F1 cars emerging and we'll be welcoming Sarah back to the programme. Say goodbye, boys. Bye, boys. Bye. Bye-bye. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!